Well, it's every, I think, middle, upper middle class family's dream to be able to someday go to Disney World. And when you get, go to Disney World, um, you usually wind up with legendary folklore stories that get added to your uh, family narrative. And um, yeah, that happened in the Bouvier family. We were able to go to Disney World when our children were in elementary school. They were young, but not too little. Um, and we had great times and challenging times, and we added to the folklore of our family. And this is one of those stories. So um, back in the day, uh, our daughter Emily, she loved to be in control. She didn't like anything that was outside of her realm of control. And um, it really bothered her when um, anything was outside of her realm. Now she's one of the most adventuresome people that I know now, but she wasn't back then. And so scary rides were kind of out, right? So she didn't want to do scary rides. Well, there is this ride at Disney World, not very many scary rides at Disney World, but there's this ride called the Tower of Terror. Uh, I don't know if you've ever ridden it before, but essentially the whole theme is that there's this hotel and they ride you through it and then they take you up and they drop you um, and you kind of free fall. Well, our son Alex really, really wanted to go on this ride and Emily didn't. And we didn't want to break the family two and two, so I put full dad weight and pressure on her to get her to do this ride. And, and so um, it was kind of like, oh, I, and I explained it real clear. Oh, you just go in this car and you ride around and then they take you up and you look out and then, then they push you forward and then you just kind of drop. And it's, it's over in a matter of seconds. It's the scary part, it's a matter of seconds. Well, there were some things that I neglected to tell her. Um, that I didn't know. Uh, um, you know, uh, parents try to have this aura of all-knowing um, for as long as you can, and then your kids figure that out, and, and, and that bubble gets burst. Uh, that bubble got burst at Disney World for Emily. Um, so we, we, you know, we convince her to go, and it's the long line. And so, you know, with every step getting closer to the ride, the tension was building, and finally we get in there and we sit down, and the first thing they do is strap you in, which right there that started bad. <laughs> Loss of control, strapped in, can't get out. Um, and then we ride around and we go up. Well, one of the things that I neglected to tell her was that, well, they take you up and then they drop you up. I neglected to tell her that it was 13 stories high, right? So they, we go through this whole thing, we go up, they push us forward, you look out on the whole theme park from 13 stories up, and then you're gone. And we landed, and of course we're safe, and she looked over at me and wasn't happy. Um, and, and I said to her, look, okay, see, I'm so proud of you, see, you did it, that wasn't so bad, and the word bad was still coming out of my mouth when, and I didn't realize this was going to happen, they lift you up again. <laughs> this time they lift you up six stories and drop you, and then they lift you up again, about three stories and drop you. There is that old saying, if looks could kill if looks could kill. I was just glad she was strapped in. She couldn't get me. So we got out of the ride and I had the walk of dad shame, right? Felt, felt just plain lonely <laughs> as we walked 
out of there. And I know it's not the best analogy um, for talking about the pandemic, but it feels very relevant to the pandemic in my opinion, right? Because we feel like we're strapped in, we're on lockdown, right? We feel like we've lost all control, and then we free fall. And just when we feel like we're done free falling, we fall again, right? This thing won't end. And it has led to isolation, it has led to loneliness, and it has led to struggle. And we see the results of this. I mean, our society is unraveling. Violent crime is up. Hateful rhetoric is at a record high. And we have discovered something about ourselves as a collective society. We really thought we had our act together emotionally and spiritually and come to find out we really don't. We don't have our act together as we thought we did. And when you think about it, this isolation has created for many a real lack of meaning for their life. And that has created a crisis. Matter of fact, even feeling like there is a complete lack of self-worth. That's what this isolation and this loneliness has done to us. Well, this is the sweet spot for our author, Dr. Vivek Murthy, right? He wrote this book called Together. Um, Vivek Murthy was the Surgeon General of the United States, and this book came out of his experiences as Surgeon General. He traveled the United States, had listening posts, listened to communities, and what he heard that he was able to string together had one theme, and that people were lonely, and that they felt isolated. And so he did his own research, he culled, he, he gathered a, a lot of other research, and wrote this book filling in with stories of inspiration. It's a wonderful book, I would encourage you to read it. I mean. This is what we do at Sheridan. Every year, our kids go back to school, and so then we as adults pick up a book to show them that it's good to be a lifelong learner and that we're still learning too, right? So this book really helps us because it wasn't written for the pandemic, but it is the perfect book for a pandemic. It came out actually in April of this year, so it's all the latest research, and he didn't know that what was going to happen was going to happen. And it informs us so brilliantly in today's world. So let's get to some stats. I know you'll have them on the screens. A 2018 Kaiser Family Foundation survey found that 22% of all adults report regularly feeling lonely. A 2018 AARP survey found that one in three adults over the age of 45 years are lonely. Cigna, in 2018, the insurance company, had a survey that said one in five adults rarely or never feel close to another person. And these are tough stats, right? I mean, Murthy is awesome about talking about the difference, the nuanced difference between isolation, solitude, and loneliness. I mean, you're we're going to talk more about these in the coming weeks because they're really helpful. But I really want you to understand that loneliness can happen even in a crowd. We can be, even in the midst of our family. When we got off the Tower of Terror ride, I felt lonely at Disney World in the midst of the crowd because of what happened, right? 
So loneliness is a problem. The problem is that no one wants to admit loneliness. No one wants to name it and claim it. And so because of our tendencies to feeling lonely, there's so much shame societally about talking about that, that then loneliness becomes a self-perpetuating cycle until eventually people feel so isolated, so lonely, so down that they feel like their lives don't matter anymore. And we wind up feeling as though we're unlovable because of the loneliness that we feel. Well, this then is where our text comes into play, and our text is so vitally important. Again, if you have a Bible, I'll encourage you to open it, um, but don't click out of the screen because I don't want to lose you. But this text from John 14 is really helpful. Jesus, as you might have heard, he just plain hammers it home over and over and over again. He hammers home the fact that he and God are one. The text, I, I said that we would have familiar text from the Bible, and this, the text that we heard Bill read isn't necessarily so familiar to us, but the beginning of it is. And so I want to encourage you to spend some time in John 14. The beginning of John 14 is actually that text that we hear at funerals all the time, right? Where Jesus talks cosmically about how he goes and prepares a place, a house of many rooms for those who believe. And then he's, you know, he was asked, how do we know the way to get to this house? And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he goes on after that to kind of talk about then what does this mean? Well, it doesn't just mean that we have this God who's far off at the end of our life who will then claim us after this misery. No, he talks about sending an advocate, that there is one who resides with us, who will walk with us even after he's gone because he's preparing to not be here anymore, and that we in community know him, and that the whole goal is for us to have this life that is immersed, right, in this meshing of our experience and God's presence in our lives. And that really kind of comes to a head in verse 27 of John 14, where he writes, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You know, we tend to look heavenward when we're in the midst of a tragedy, which we are right now with regard to this pandemic. We tend to look heavenward and say, where are you and why are you doing this to me? When actually, scripturally, we hear over and over and over again, and this is one of the prime texts in which we hear God is with us always. God is always reaching into our lives in the midst of our struggle. It is incumbent upon us to do that work. And so for um, a lonely people, God in Christ is saying, I am near, I am with you, I am here. Right? Have peace. I am here. That struggle is an ancient struggle. It's really a struggle, as Murthy talks about, it's a, it's a struggle of life and death. You may not realize that. But loneliness and social isolation is really a life and death issue. Recent studies have shown that loneliness comparatively ties to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. People with strong social relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely. Why? Because when you're lonely and you feel hopeless, you tend to make bad choices for yourself. You don't eat properly, you don't sleep well, you don't exercise. And so the cumulative bad health effects 
over the lack of spiritual grounding, if you will, and uh, community in the church, if you will, that can kill you. And so while the research is in, we still struggle with this same problem. What's cause and effect, right? Do our circumstances, how much do they impact us? We tend to say, well, if our circumstances were better, like we're in the middle of a pandemic, if our circumstances were better, I'd be better. There is evidence to prove that that is true in the short run. But in the long run, that isn't true at all. Right? The bigger picture, statistically, is not, oh, if church were open, I'd be a better Christian. That's not it at all. If you worked on being a better Christian, you'd be more engaged with church. <laughs> That's the reality. And so we need to have responses that engender our faith, right? You'd be a far better Christian. You'd be far better emotionally, spiritually, if you worked on your faith each day. It seems so readily apparent, and yet it's never stated. And Murthy talks about this, and I, and I want to I state this clearly because it was really a lot of wisdom for me. We believe, sadly, societally, that complex problems require complex responses. When in fact, it's actually the opposite. See, when we face like a pandemic that is so complex, um, we, have, we sense this complex problem and we want to then go, oh, it's too much for me, I can't do it. Or we try to and then we get frustrated because we can't come up with a complex response to this complex problem. We wind up throwing up our hands and giving up, right? We then wind up surrounding ourselves then with this narrative, and man, that is so the case now, this narrative that engenders fear and makes us more afraid and it feels more complex and we wind up spiraling in this vicious cycle. Murthy would say actually that complex problems, because they're beyond us, especially societal problems, they're beyond us as an individual, complex problems don't require a complex response from us. Matter of fact, quite to the contrary. Complex problems require a simple response from us. In my very fruitful partnership with Pastor Larry Argenbright, he was the senior pastor here for 11 years. I was the associate and then an executive pastor with him. Um, in my very fruitful relationship with him, in which he mentored me, in which we grew together in this ministry of Sheridan, um, I learned several things, but this one piece of advice always stuck out, stuck out to me. Pastor Earlier and I were really complementary pieces. We were very different people. We had very different styles. We had very different backgrounds. But there was one compelling piece that joined us together. And that piece that joined us together was the fact that we both endured, persevered through, and quite frankly overcame really difficult circumstances in our childhood. And I remember in ministry, Pastor Larry used to always say this, you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control your response to it. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control your response 
to it. You can't control what happens to you in regard to this pandemic. But you can control your response to it, right? And in the times of this pandemic, it is not the time to throw up our arms and give up. These are the days in which we must work on and cultivate a life filled with faith, hope, and gratitude. Faith, hope, and gratitude. Dr. Murthy um, talks a lot about gratitude and the importance of, right? And there is a lot of statistics and studies that are in. So I want to encourage you to get a copy of the book and read it because you'll be overwhelmed with the power of gratitude. Um, We need to learn to live with a sense of gratitude in our lives. And so with that piece of paper and pen that I told you to have out earlier, I just want you to take time, whether it's right now or whether it's in the silence after the message, whether it's in the special music, whether it's just later after worship, take time to write down short list of people that you are thankful for. I want you to write down the things that you are thankful for. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep that list present. I want you to have that list in a prominent place where you can pray through it each day. Maybe it's someone that you haven't seen in a really long time and you can reach out to that person with a phone call. Maybe it's somebody who you haven't seen in a while and you can physically distance sit together. Maybe it's somebody who is elbow to elbow with you right now and you haven't said this to them in a really long time. Do what you need to do to be grateful for them and to surround yourself in these pandemic days thoughts and love of gratitude that will help you live with faith and hope that exercise